This is March 7th, 2021, and I'm going to take up a koan today. This is number 23 in the Mumon Khan, or the Gateless Barrier. Think neither good nor evil. <clears throat> and here's how the case goes. It's a long one. The sixth patriarch, that's Wei Nung, the sixth patriarch was pursued by monk Myo up to Dayurei. The patriarch, seeing Myo coming, laid the robe and the bow on a rock and said, This robe symbolizes the faith. Is it to be fought for? You may take it away. Mio tried to lift it, but it was as as immovable as a mountain. Faltering and trembling, Mio said, I have come for the Dharma, not for the robe. I beg you, lay brother, to open the way for me. <clears throat> the sixth patriarch said, Thinking nor, neither good nor evil, at this very moment, what is the original face of monk Mio? At this Myunk, monk Mio was all at once enlightened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. With tears flowing, he bowed down and asked, Besides these secret words and meanings, is there anything else deeper still? The patriarch said, What has been revealed to you is not secret. If you look into your own true self, what is secret is right there. Mio said, Though I trained under Obai with the other monks, I could not awaken to my true self. Now, thanks to your instruction, I am like one who has drunk water and actually knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. Lay brother, you are my teacher. To which the patriarch said, We both have Obai for our teacher. Live up to your attainment with care. <clears throat> <clears throat> so some uh, biographical material on the Sixth Patriarch with, uh, in recent years uh, would say the Sixth Ancestor who is Wei Nung his full name is Da, da Jiang Wei Nung uh, and scholars say that Zen as we know it originated with Wei Nung. Yes, Bodhidharma is considered the founder of the Zen school, but uh, it's it's starting with Wei Nung that it became um, Sinoized, is that the word? <clears throat> it became fully Chinese with Wei Nung. And, um, and then uh, the Japanese uh, very much uh, followed with that style as so, so have we. There is a uh, quite a long story about uh, Wei Nung. Um, maybe just I'll just mention a few points of his biography for those of you who haven't heard it before.
Yeah, he is <coughs> said to. Well, his date, his dates are seven. See, he was born in seven thirty-eight. Excuse me, he was born in six thirty-eight. He was the son of a civil servant who had lost his position and then died young, and left Wei Nung and the rest of the family penniless. The the story is that Wei Nung had no schooling and that as a youth he peddled firewood to support himself and his mother. And then one day while he was delivering wood to a customer, he heard a monk reciting the Diamond Sutra. And his mind opened and he experienced deep realization. Uh, according to one account, uh, this happened uh, as soon as he heard the phrase from the Diamond Sutra, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. It's a great, great summation of the Zen way. Arouse the mind, be alert, aware, without abiding, without getting stuck anywhere. Well, just to get through the high points of this, this is this was when he was only 23, Wei Nong, and uh, he found his way to the mountain of uh, the leading teacher at the time, the fifth ancestor. Remember, Wei Nong hadn't yet become the sixth. And uh, the, the fifth ancestor... Uh, asked him a couple questions and sent him off to the rice pounding area. I still remember uh, seeing that on one of my pilgrimages in China. Um, We saw the the stone that was used, uh, allegedly, (laughs) by Wei Nong to, it's kind of a, a, it's a little like a, like an elliptical trainer, but uh, um, with stone uh, to to pound the rice. Well, after some months uh, of Wei Nung working there in the margins of the monastery, uh, the fifth patriarch said that uh, he needed to name a successor, and he announced a contest for this, and he. He told all the monks uh, that anyone who believes that he's worthy of transmission should write a a verse on a on a wall there, a very prominent wall in the monastery. And uh, they <clears throat> they uh, they turned to the head monk uh, Shen Shu and said, come on, uh, you're going to have to step up to the plate here and do this. So, according to the, to the story, uh, Shen Shu uh, agonized over it and uh, finally wrote on the wall the following verse. The body is the Bodhi tree. That is the, the, the tree of wisdom. The body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a clear mirror Moment by moment, wipe the mirror carefully, let there be no dust upon it. 
So the fifth ancestor, when he saw the poem, he he uh, praised it. He said, good, good, um, but nothing more than that. And then Wei Nung, out there in the fringe of the monastery compound, he heard the other monks were talking about this poem by the fifth, by uh, the head monk and how the fifth ancestor had praised it. And uh, he heard it and he thought, well, I'm filling in here. He thought to himself, come on. It's, that's not really it. So then he found his way over to the wall, that, that big wall, and he wrote his own verse. And here's how it reads. Bodhi really has no tree. The mirror, too, has no stand. From the beginning, there's nothing at all. Where can any dust alight? Now that is a different order of understanding than that of the head monk. The head monk had, head monk's verse was emphasizing just, just daily practice, working at it, um, keeping the mind uh, clear of attachments to thoughts. It's, it's, it's kind of work-based. Keep working, working, working. Training, really. But then Wei Nun uh, just obliterates that whole idea and leaps beyond it and said this wisdom is no tree there's no mirror there's no stand there's no dust nothing well when when the fifth ancestor saw this he knew that this young this young monk Wei Nong had uh, truly seen into the great matter, but he was afraid, get a load of this, he was afraid of uh, singling out uh, Wei Nong, um, and, and because he said of his concerns about the jealousy on the part of the other monks, uh, this, this idea is one of quite a few indications in the old stories that uh, just because you became a monk uh, didn't mean that your mind was terribly pure. He recognized that this newcomer, Wei Nung, uh, would not be accepted by the rest of the monks as the successor of, of the, the, the ancestor, the fifth ancestor, and so, worried that uh, that the other monks would do harm to Wei Nung, the fifth ancestor uh, said, "You better go into hiding." And uh, he uh, rode Wei Nung across the river and advised him to polish his realization. There it is. There's the polishing. It still goes on even after enlightenment to polish his realization uh, in, 
in secret for more time before emerging as a teacher. significant that even though Wainung had shown his enlightenment in his verse uh, and had had come to real true realization still the his teacher the fifth fifth ancestor recognized that you have to go on uh, purifying because what there is this this uh remnant of uh, unresolved uh, issues, to use a very modern word, um, things in the personality, uh, emotional uh, knots, uh, things still to be ironed out after, even after, genuine enlightenment. Um, and and so he said, okay, you're, you're awfully young, um get out there and do 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 some mopping up of uh the work that you started and uh, then later you can uh, step forward as my successor well after the after Wei Nung had uh disappeared the fifth ancestor announced to the other monks that it was indeed Wei Nung who he had made his successor. And uh, here's where it gets very human, <laughs> uh, where the other monks thought he must have made a mistake. He must have made a mistake. Uh, maybe they thought that uh, he was had gotten old enough that he was getting sugary um, and that wouldn't explain why he passed up the head monk who had been there so long. But anyway, they told themselves uh, that their what they saw as their their rival, the young Wei Nung, uh, had had somehow uh, gotten away with something. <laughs> yeah, he'd gotten away with the robe and the bowl. I didn't mention that that the. The fifth ancestor had presented him with the, these these symbols of transmission, Dharma transmission, the robe and the bowl, and uh, they thought, okay, we have to somehow uh, bring justice to all this. And uh, I'm filling in here now. They uh, they looked to this monk Mio, who we read from in the case already, and they said. Listen, uh, if anyone's going to catch this guy and bring back the robe and the bowl, it's you. Uh, Mio had been a general uh, before he became a monk. So that would tell you a lot about his temperament. They, the, the old texts say that he was powerful in body, had a tremendous willpower and uh, he led them at first he led this posse of monks off to catch Wei Nung 
but he soon uh, outdistanced uh, the others, and he was left alone, um, tearing after Wei Nung. And that's where <clears throat> that's where the case picks up. Excuse me, I had said that, uh, I think I said in there that Wei Nung uh, was a monk at some point. No, he was a lay person. That's what makes this so such a remarkable story. Um, that uh, and, and, and has kept it alive for all these centuries. Is, is It flies in the face of the uh, traditional idea that uh, you can't really practice the Dharma and come to awakening unless you're ordained as a monk. So he was a lay person. All right, now let's get back to the case. Sixth patriarch was pursued by monk Myo up to Dayure. It's a big prominent mountain there. And then I'll sort of paraphrase here rather than reading it uh, word for word. So Wei Nung, uh, he glanced back and saw Myo in hot pursuit. He could see that he himself couldn't uh, out outrun the monk and so he finally laid the robe and the bowl on a rock and and said now this is the this dramatic encounter you could see Mio just just climbing up over a, a rock and uh, there they meet face to face and Wei Nung lays the the robe in the bowl on a rock, and he says, and you can just see him how how calmly, with a, with great equanimity and settledness, he said, "This robe symbolizes it, the faith. It's just a symbol of the Dharma." Really, do you do you really think we need to fight over it? Go ahead, go ahead, take it. And then when, when Mio, he finally now, his, his goal uh, was right there at hand, he found that he couldn't lift it, that it was as immovable as a mountain, this robe and bowl. There's real significance to that, immovable as a mountain as a symbol of the Dharma, the Dharma. I want to share a story from uh, Aitken Roshi's commentary on the Mumonkan. It, it, it's really stuck with me 
since uh, I read it many years ago. He talks about a Frederick Frank uh, becoming a vegetarian uh, as a small child during World War I. Uh, He lived with his family in Holland, uh, which at that time was a neutral country. Uh, and so he had, but he had just been a mile from the Belgian border. And so he had witnessed what he called the incomprehensible horror of seeing living human flesh in the tatters of German, Belgian, and French uniforms coming across the border on push carts and other improvised ambulances. It sensitized me, Frank said, against all forms of physical violence. Uh, During those years, when Frederick Frank was a child, he was forced against his will to eat fish and meat and became preoccupied with uh, kind of his own koan. Is it more evil to eat whole sardines than a slice of cod? You know, I learned when 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 we were in Tibet, this coming, uh, I'd gone up to the roof of the uh, 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 the name slips me. It's the most venerated temple in all of Tibet, right there in Lhasa, the Jokwang, I think, something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I had heard that I could get my head shaved on the roof of that temple, and uh, the monks were. Uh, glad to oblige me. And then coming down from the roof, down these these narrow stone stairs that have been there, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a 7th century uh, temple. Coming down those stairs, I had to squeeze by a Tibetan monk who was struggling up the stairs with a big side of beef over his shoulders. And uh, I, I later heard that, I don't know if this is true, I have to <laughs> qualify this, but what I heard was that uh, in Tibetan Buddhists, or some Tibetan Buddhists, believe that it's the number of beings uh, that have to die that determines uh, the karmic consequences of, of eating meat. And so that I was told so that eating uh, 10 sardines would be eating worse. Would, to, to have 10 sardines die in order for you to eat them is worse than one cow dying. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, let's let that, leave that alone. But, but now back to the story. He was, he was forced to eat meat when he didn't want to. And then one day he had this revelation. And this is, these are his words. It happened in a restaurant where a fragrant filet de sole amandine was put in front of me. I took my fork, but it refused to touch the fish. I ate the potatoes and never knowingly ate animal flesh again. The fork would not touch the fish, and Monk Mio could not lift the robe.
And now comes the the climax of the koan, where the sixth patriarch said said to Monk Mio, there faltering and trembling, um, the, patri- the patriarch said, thinking neither good nor evil, at this very moment, what is the original face of Monk Mio? There it is. The original face. Another translation has it, the original self. Um, and that leads me to talk about the significance of face and self as self. There's so much in the face. I think we all have all come to appreciate uh, the face as never before in this past year where most faces are behind masks. It's uh, in, in our face we're presenting ourself. It's uh, the most expressive, of course, the most expressive uh, part of the body. Uh, we, we pick up a lot from people by body language, their body language, but nothing can match the face for getting a sense of who it is we're facing. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real danger among human beings uh, to become attached to the face. As a matter of vanity, um, there's this thing about wrinkles. So many people uh, are don't want to be don't acquire wrinkles as they age, um, even though we're told that. Uh, one uh, one part particular kind of wrinkle the crow's feet at the corner of the eyes crow's feet uh there's a correlation between those and uh good heart health uh i guess the link is that they they represent a, a smile um, i've read that uh a, a true smile is when, is is when you smile with the eyes um because we can we can learn how to affect a smile with a mouth. We can put on a smile with a mouth. I'm told that that's a that's a held up as a uh, something to present at all times in the lineage of Thich Nhat Han. Uh, at least put it. Put a smile on your face. No matter what you may be feeling, show the smile. Which I just, it just confounds me uh, how that would be a prominent advice uh, to anyone practicing the Dharma. Uh, but what they say is that smiling with the eyes is, is, is the real smile. 
Uh, maybe the twinkling of the eyes would be another way of putting it. And then that comes with these crow's feet. In Japan, at least, if not other East Asian countries, there's this high value on not revealing your feelings. I was told when I was there that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of uh, politeness. It's a matter of consideration for other people, because if you reveal your feelings in your face, some feelings are worse than others, of course. But if you reveal your feelings, then uh, it imposes a kind of burden on other people to be able to um, work with those feelings of yours. There is a kind of convention in Japan that when you're sitting in Doksan, facing the teacher knee to knee, eyeball to eyeball, that you keep your eyes down. And that's uh, what was expected here when, uh, when I was, uh, my, my early years of practice. Uh, I don't think, I don't think, I don't remember Roshi Kapil ever saying that you should keep your eyes down in Doksan, but it became one of these uh, expectations somehow. I don't know how, but uh, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't hurt if you were that. Most of us were intimidated, intimidated by Roshi Kaplow, and so in Doksan, sitting you know inches from him, uh, it would be natural to <laughs> want to keep our eyes down. It's a sign of humility. Um, in Japan, but uh, as the years went by, I and when I became a teacher, I encouraged people not not to feel obliged to keep your eyes down in Doksan, because in doing so, you're missing visual clues, uh, things that that I can. You're missing the visual uh, in my face and my gestures if your eyes are down. So what I what I tell new students now is uh, uh, it's natural to look up now and then, not to stare uh, the whole time you're sitting in front of me, um, to look up now and then, uh, to not be attached to either having the eyes down or staring at the teacher. I find myself that when I'm, when I'm composing my thoughts in order to speak, to, to compose what I'm saying, as I am now, actually, that my eyes, it helps to have my eyes down. But anyway, we present the self uh, so much in the face. There, I've read that there are 43 muscles in the face. There are, I've read reports that there are way more uh, smile muscles than, there are more muscles are required to frown than to smile. But uh, that's, that's been disputed also because it depends on the kind of the smile and the kind of frown.
I suppose you could say that if if the face, if our face is, presents our self-identity, small s self, then going beyond the face presents our true self, capital S self. Our sense of identity is all wrapped up in the face. Identity is, is something we need to uh, accept. Um, the danger from a Zen perspective is when we become attached to identity, uh, attached to small as self at the expense of our true self. In the Hakuin chant that, that we did at the beginning of this Teisho, every Teisho, uh, Hakuin says, and when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self. Our own self is no self. And here is Wei Nung, the sixth ancestor, challenging monk Mio. What is without thinking of good or evil, at this very moment, what is the original face of Monk Mio? Show me your true self. There's this, uh, this old saying that the, the eyes are the windows to the soul but uh, we've discovered in the, over this past year that the eyes without the rest of the face, when the rest of the face is concealed behind a mask, we're missing so much. So look forward to being able to see people's faces again. But first this, uh, the first part of that challenge where the sixth ancestor says, uh, thinking neither good nor evil. So the implication is that, that Mio, this monk Mio was thinking that he was this emissary. He was on a mission to see justice done, to see, to uh, correct an injustice, a wrong that had happened with this young Wei Nong having received the, the robe and the bowl. There's so much in Zen about uh, going beyond this old uh, dichotomy of right and wrong. And I've often said from this seat that we don't need right and wrong if we have an understanding of causation, if we can appreciate that some of our words cause harm and others don't. Some of our uh, 
uh, actions cause harm and others don't, then that's enough. Why bring in this, uh, this Abrahamic idea of right and wrong? We can, uh, we can appreciate that this monk Mio was not just some galoot who was completely misguided. Well, he was misguided in mistaking the robe and the bowl for the real transmission, but, uh, but he was obviously someone of great sincerity, great passion. And determination. These are all qualities that would serve anyone well in on the path of Zen. And no doubt Wei Nung could see, because he could see the monk Mio's face <laughs> and his whole body, he could see that these these were remarkable assets of this monk, that he would pursue him to such lengths even misguided as it was. There's a koan in the uh, Book of Serenity, the Shoyo Roku, where the great Linchi, Rinzai in Japanese, Lynch, he said to the assembly, there's a person of, a true person of no rank who is always coming out and in through the gates of your face. You beginners have not yet witnessed that one. Look, look. Monk stepped forward and said, what is the true person of no rank? Lynchy got down from the seat and grabbed him. The monk hesitated. Then she pushed him away and said, The true person of no rank, what a useless piece of shit. For this monk Mio, it was all about rank. The, the head monk, Shen Shu, had outranked the young Wei Nung. So, uh, in all kinds of ways, he was a monk, he was had great seniority there at the monastery. How then uh, could the young Wei Nong have been given the robe and the bowl? Thinking neither good nor evil. There is a wonderful um, words uh, by Rumi, my beloved Rumi, the Sufi master, who said, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other, 
doesn't make any sense. Can especially appreciate these words with this scenario of the Wei Nung and Monk Mio meeting face to face in that grass, that clearing, that field. There's a field that's out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing. I'll meet you there. So again, finally, uh, what is what is the tr- original face or true face? It doesn't matter. What is the original face of Monk Mill? That's the nub. That's the the very crux of the koan. And the student has to demonstrate uh, her or his understanding of that. At this, Monk Mio was all at once enlightened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. This was no. This was no grazing experience of Kensho. Deep. Tears flowing down his face his face. Besides these secret words, he said, and meaning, is there anything else deeper still? Wei Nung says, what has been revealed to you is not secret. Zen has been called an open secret. It's right here. It's right here. Right there. Wayneng says, if you look into your true self, your own true self, what is secret is right there. So it wasn't, it wasn't until Mio had stopped that he realized his original face. Could see how until then, what a what a what a handicap it was in him to be on this crusade. It's it's grasping the attachment to enlightenment, the thought of enlightenment. Uh, this is a big hindrance. At the workshop, our online workshop yesterday, someone asked about this uh, old uh, dichotomy between those who say uh, there's no need uh, to come to enlightenment because we're already enlightened. All of us are enlightened. Between that and the other school, the Rinzai school, it says, yes, of course, we're all originally enlightened. But if you just sit back sort of basking in that idea of your original enlightenment, then you then you will not be able to have the greatest experience any human being can have. So get to work. Get to work for your sake and for the sake of all beings and awaken to your original enlightenment.
And then the rest of the koan is uh, less important, the, the rest of the case. Um, but let's just run through it. Uh, Wei Nang says, what has been revealed to you is not secret. If you look into your own true self, what is secret is right there. And then Myo says, though I trained under the fifth ancestor with the other monks, I could not awaken to my true self. Now, thanks to your instruction, I am like one who has drunk water and actually knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. In other words, the direct experience of awakening, not reading about it, not wishing for it, not thinking about it, grasping at it, but experiencing it. So you see here, Myo is clearly uh, just overwhelmed with gratitude and he is sort of indirectly suggesting that his previous teacher, the fifth ancestor, um, well, hadn't helped him close the deal. But uh, Wei Nung won't, won't have that. He won't, can't let that go. He says, we both have the fifth ancestor for our teacher. Here again, there's so many points in this story, in this koan, in the story, uh, that are germane to Zen practice. Um, here, I, I would say it's all a matter of the, the well, it's a matter of dependent coal rising. This is a central, central core teaching of the Dharma, is that it's not, it's not just the ability or lack of ability of the teacher, it's not just the ability or lackability of the uh, um, the ability or inability of the student, but it's that teacher and that student coming together at that time that determines what the outcome. You can be sure that plenty of other monks at that monastery of the fifth ancestor had come to enlightenment under him but there was something that hadn't yet ripened in in in, in Mio that finally did under the Wei Nung, the sixth patriarch again this this finally coming coming to a stop, this mill coming to a stop there, looking down at the robe and the bowl, reaching down, no longer running, chasing, grasping. Chuanzu, the, the great Taoist said, to the mind that is still, the universe surrenders. So long as we are holding in our mind this idea of enlightenment, so long as we are clinging to that, we will not be able to experience it. And that's the whole point of the particular practice we're working on, whether it's a koan or the breath, whatever it is, it's all to help us get unshackled from this idea of enlightenment as something out there because indeed from the very beginning we have all been enlightened
uh, the commentary very quickly. I know we're running out of time. Uh, Mumon says uh, that the sixth patriarch did something extraordinary. He is like a kindly grandmother who peels a fresh lychee. Let's make it an orange. <laughs> it's a lot more common uh, here in North America. He's like a kindly grandmother who peels a fresh orange, removes all the seeds, and puts it into your mouth so that you need only swallow it. He just laid it out there, literally. Laid out, not just the row in the bowl, that's the least of it. But he just saw that Mio, through his, his days and days of exertion, climbing that mountain, that itself is a symbol, that he was ready. He, What is that phrase? A fool, if he pursues his folly long enough, will become wise. And then the verse. Mumon says, You cannot describe it. You cannot picture it. You can never praise it fully. Stop all your groping and maneuvering. There's nowhere to hide your true self. When the world is annihilated, it remains indestructible. That brings us to the end of our time. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.